Welcome to the Cold Steel Surgical Podcast with your hosts Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. It's with a quite a heavy heart that we uh, record this podcast here, but you know, given the contributions clinically, academically, and particularly personally to many surgeons in Canada and without doubt globally, we thought it was a, a good opportunity to talk about David Feliciano given his recent passing. We would point you to episodes 27 and 46 specifically where we had Dr. Feliciano on for some really amazing conversations. Episode 27 in particular was about his history and trauma and building cultures that really did care for patients at a, on an individual all the way to a system level. Episode 46 reflected really his passion and his incredible historian-type knowledge of Nobel Prize winners from the field of surgery. We also um, uh, put out a, a tribute to him in the Canadian Journal of Surgery that we will link to this podcast for those of you that would like to learn a little bit more about uh, Dr. Feliciano. We're really privileged to have on the podcast today, Neil Perry uh, with Amir and myself. Um, Dr. Perry knows Dr. Feliciano as well and trained with him. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Dr. Feliciano's training paradigm was, was very interesting. He, he grew up in New York City and New Jersey and really was exposed to the field of surgery very early, mostly through his father, who was a World War II veteran and was a uh, was a surgeon um, starting at the age of five. I think Dr. Feliciano talked about going into the hospital with him to round with him. And he trained under true uh, iconic legends and uh, folks like Lucas and Ledgerwood on the trauma side in Detroit City, uh, figures like Dr. DeBakey in Houston on the vascular side of things. Um, his first job was under the, the guidance and tutelage of Seymour Schwartz. Um, he then moved back to, to Houston um, after being in Rochester and was partners with Ken Maddox and, and John Birch. Um, really historically iconic um, legacy type folks, hey, Neil? Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, on that first episode when you were uh, chatting with Dr. Feliciano, you know, we know as either DVF or the boss, and will always remain that way. Yeah, and and it was, you know, as you said, I think in, in that podcast, it was sort of the one point of of you know modern trauma surgery and the way things sort of evolved. Um, and then he just carried that forward. And his, you know, his, uh, you know, so many admirable qualities that, that, that with with Dr. Feliciano, but really, I think his love for teaching. And, and, you know, of course, his worldwide uh, uh, reputation and his publishing record, co-editor of trauma, president of so many societies, you know, puts him on a whole different stage. But when we get down to it, like his, his love for teaching, um, and unless you were actually in that uh, environment, you may not know about. And it was... It was really just staggering, I think. I don't know what a, really another way to describe it. He, he always had time. It didn't matter who you were. Uh, and as you and I know, Chad, the, you know, he couldn't, he 
couldn't put up all of his teaching words on his wall. Like he didn't have walls that were big enough for them. They're, you know, unbelievable. The dedication, the sort of thoughtful, deliberate dedication that he had, you know, sort of set the bar for everything. Um, you know, is it, it was just it, amazing. A morning report at 7 a.m. every day, weekends included, always there. You know, it's a different yeah, era his, for sure, but wow. Yeah, yeah. no, his, I agree. Like his, his commitment to patient care, his commitment to education and his commitment to his colleagues on many levels uh, is probably unmatched in terms of anything I've seen in my training and my, my working um, pathway. And, uh, you know, you're right. He was a seven day a week, 24 seven guy. He was always around uh, to help anybody more junior or more senior for help. And, you know, as you point out, I think he won the resident general surgery resident teaching award at Emory, something like almost 20 straight years. Like, um, you know, you, you're also correct in that there's an era, an, an era there that's different than now. And his style is certainly different than I think you, you see now. But boy, oh boy, was it um, did it penetrate and, and did you learn things? I, I remember the very first day I got there, which was June 30th, um, the day before. He had said, sat me down in his office and he had said, treat every single patient in this building like your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your, your family. And if you, do, if you do that, things will go well for you, for us, and for patients. And I, I you know, you kind of hear that and you're like, well, that's a bold statement. And then you get to be around this guy who lives that every day for decade after decade. And you understand the weight of what he was saying. Like, absolutely. Uh, it's easy to say those those things it's sort of an you know an intuitive thing as a physician that's what we would do and everybody every patient every person you work with you treat respectfully as your family so we all know that doesn't happen but you're absolutely right that just embodied him like that that was it and it wasn't with any effort it just that's the way it came across and and it that sort of uh, without actually consciously doing anything or and certainly his his gravitas of being dr feliciano but you just, you, you just wanted to be make him proud. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. You, you know, I, I spent some time just after he, he died going back and looking at sort of the, some of the topics that he really helped refine and in some cases define on the, on the clinical side of things. And, you know, just to mention a few, as you point out, because there is too many to mention, but he, he really is the pioneer of organization of abdominal vascular trauma into, I mean, sure, it's okay to say zone A, B, C, D, one, two, three, like however you want to do it. But he really then took that lexicon and moved beyond it and, and allowed us to study it and understand it and expose it. And, you know, that's that's a lot from his brain. But even more than that, when I think about some of the other topics, like him and Dr. Pachter pushing hepatic trauma, for example, peripheral vascular injuries, obviously, vascular damage control with shunts and balloons, I would say that in sort of summarizing that, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I don't necessarily think he was sort of the 1.0 um, a genius um, uh, inventor of a lot of those concepts. But what he was at his core is a very, very early adopter. And he would take those concepts and then chip away at them sort of in the iterative um, improvement process and make them better so we all understood them. And then he would 
take that and extrapolate it out into the world so that we could all use them independent of our of our resource base or our hospital setting. Like when I think of him now, I think of him as this great uh, early adopter in, uh, in the context of innovation. And I, I think for me anyway, the best example of that is, you know, his life partner and work partner and wife, Grace Rizicki, and her development of, you know, bedside ultrasonography for injury and, and then acute care surgery and his support of that and integration of that at an early level into that institution's clinical practice. Like it's pretty amazing. It, it is. And I, I actually, I, I totally agree. And I think he would be the first person to agree with you. And we all know his, his, you know, profound knowledge for surgical history and, and, and tremendous respect for it. And I always said that, you know, if you think you're naming or doing something for the first time, you're wrong. And then, you know, go back and, and to prove that. Um, but you're right. He always, um, you know, he, he had a very, uh, I guess, appealing way of, of writing, ask the simplish questions, like not, I don't mean that in, in a, uh, in a negative way, but just the right way to ask a, a question to make it come across simple. And then would, have a really great command of how to write it well with all, you know, just here's to the point, much like he was, and, and it comes across, you know, okay, that's it, you know. Um, yeah, it, it was, he'd be the first to, to say that too, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, like historically we talk about, uh, not like you or I invented any of this language, but there's the concept of the triple threat. When you think about him objectively, he's like not only a triple threat, he's like a quintuple threat, like, and the, the main do, you know, domains that he touched, boy, oh boy, did, did he command not only respect, but, but change them uh, from their core, like unbelievable stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, just even thinking about the, his, you know, his, his vast uh, knowledge of, of surgical history and, and the file cabinet. So those that haven't trained to talk to Feliciano, he had this, well, I had several file cabinets in his office, but he would just say, okay, uh, you would be talking about something historical, you know, there was a, a, a seminal paper, and he would just go to his file cabinet and just, you know, second drawer, okay, over to the left, pick it out. And you know, I'd look at, I'd look inside the file cabinet, there's nothing, it's not alphabetical, it's not by year, it's not by subject. Like only he knew how this bloody thing was organized, you know, it was, but it was awesome. And then boom, out would come this paper. You'd photocopy it back in the day and you'd highlight it and do everything else and give it back to him. But it was, um, yeah, just incredible. I used to go into his office and sit on his couch with him at the, his commanding wood desk there. And I would say, okay, I have three ideas. Here, here's what I'm thinking, A, B, and C. And I would, he'd go, keep going. And I'd sort of talk about the research question for each one of them. And then usually two out of three, he would say, well, those are good questions, young guy, but here's how they fit into the last hundred years of historical context. And essentially him being nice and educational, telling me that I was a dope and needed to read more history. And then one of those was usually a, a, you know, a, a new idea. And, and that's where we typically went, but those were great memories. And I, I you know, it, it, in understanding his life, as you point out in that first podcast a little better, you can see the the amount of knowledge that he amassed. Like that's probably not reproducible, no matter what the effort is now. You know, as, as you mentioned with Dr. Ozicki, the two of them were. You know, I mean, I got down there to, in the July of 
yeah, oh, one, and that they got married in September of that year. So, and then you and I, we don't know them like apart, right? They're, they're all they're always uh, always together, and, and like just such a it's really sort of special when you can just sort of sit back and you just watch the two of them interact. Uh, it, it is, it's it, you know, it, it's really really something. But they're both just incredible mentors. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You, you know, you're you're right. Dr. Riziki is a really important part of his legacy. And she was uh, clearly, to all of us, such a supportive partner of his in so many uh, verbal and nonverbal ways. And uh, Dr. Riziki, I have no doubt, contributed, uh, pushed him to a whole different level. And it's kind of amazing to see two people at that level who end up together day and night. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person, but I would I sort of dubbed him the the royal couple of trauma. You know, I remember I was at a, one of the meetings, um, cheekily put their faces on some English royal couple in in one of my talks a couple of times, and thankfully they had a good smile on their faces when they looked at it. But that's the way we looked at them, right? And we always will. Well, I think it's it's okay to be honest about it, and and as you and I know, uh, many many trainees many of their faculty for many, many years referred to them as mom and dad quietly in the back halls. And I, to me, that says everything. It, it's in every way, right? We all look to, if we're lucky enough to have great parents or a great parent, um, that's, a, that's the biggest compliment I think I could ever imagine anyone giving somebody essentially they work with. So it's a sort of sadness, but also certainly uh, um, I think we all feel very lucky to have trained with with uh, Dr. Feliciano and, and Dr. Riziki. And um, I would encourage our, our listeners and anyone who hears this in any tangential way to to have a listen to Dr. Feliciano talk in, in those two episodes and have a look at the Canadian Journal of Surgery uh, tribute to Dr. Feliciano and there's been some very nice um, society um, uh, commentary and uh, and one video in particular uh, that we'll also put as a link onto this uh, particular podcast. So thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you have comments or questions, please email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.